Mac Power Users, episode 657, New Hardware in iOS 16. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined by my pal and your Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. It's always fun, and we have new hardware to talk about. Yeah. Do you still have that Apple event glow about you right now? I do. Yeah. I Listeners of Connected will know that I, for some reason, decided to get my flu shot and a COVID booster the day, the morning before the Apple event. So we're recording what? this the day after. So not quite 100%, but that's okay. But yes, what were you thinking, super, man? super excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, have you had reactions to the shots before? Just like, be, kind of like I am today. Like, I'm yeah. going to take a nap after this, <laughs> but yeah. I'll be fine. It puts my wife down. I mean, yeah. she has to like really plan around it. But, uh, and, and then I say that the next time I get one, I'll be the, the one that goes down. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think that that wasn't the wisest thing for someone in your business. But hey, you know, hey, we all do it. It's okay. I was really thinking, uh, you know, oh, we have a, a big live show for St. Jude coming up uh, next right. Friday, uh, the 16th. And so I thought, I don't want to be the one responsible for that not happening. And so it's like, you know what? I, the first day I can get this booster, I'm going to go and get it done. So I was really thinking ahead to that a little bit. That that actually makes total sense. In fact, let's talk about St. Jude for a minute because yeah. it's September. Uh, uh, September is the Child uh, Cancer Awareness Month, and we're doing the St. Jude um, podcast-a-thon, which is on, I believe, September 16th. Is that right? It is, yeah. It'll be on a Relay's Twitch channel, and that'll run from 12 to 8 p.m., Eastern, uh, Eastern time in the U S yeah. Yeah. And the, um, Mike is going to be in, in the city with you this time. It's not going to be virtual. Yeah. I am really, I'm really looking forward to watching that because I feel like two of you in the same room, hijinks will certainly ensue. And I, I can't wait to see what all that's about. Yeah. I've, I've only seen him once since 2019. He was here in the spring and it was a fantastic trip, but we haven't done a show together since the fall of 2019. And so, uh, they're going to be here almost, I think, 10 days. And so most of that's on the front end. So we're going to have some time to uh, do some last minute planning and we're going to have a big rehearsal the day before. So we, we take it seriously. And, you know, eight hours on a video is, it's a lot of time, but it goes by quickly enough once you start kind of plugging things into the schedule. Yeah. And and uh, we're making progress on this year's goal for St. Jude, but there's a long ways to go. Um I intend to make a dent in that during today's show. Yeah. Uh, if you listened last week, you know that I have pledged the amount of an Apple Watch to St. Jude. Mm -hmm. And I told Stephen that he could pick the Apple Watch for me. And I, I will tell you, we're going to talk about the Apple Watch Ultra in a minute. But when they were doing the usual Apple thing where they're saying, oh, yeah, it can take you hiking and it can be a dive computer and it can do this. And I was thinking... Uh-oh. <laughs> like this thing's going to end up costing like 2 grand and Steven's <laughs> going to make me you know. <laughs> I was really worried about it. Yeah. Uh but uh but yeah, we have uh that's going to happen. I guess we should probably do that during the show. You want to do that during the show? Yeah, we'll do that do during the show. All right. Uh, so so I have pledged the amount of an Apple Watch to St. Jude and it's good. and all of us that are buying like fancy things now. You know what? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with taking a little extra and giving it to St. Jude. I can tell you that Daisy and I um uh, do a monthly thing where we we take a portion of anything we make and we set it aside. Awesome. And and we um we give it to places like St. Jude. 
Um, it's also good, you know, maybe you can help out even just like if there's someone in your immediate life that, you know, can use a little help there. It's just a really nice practice to feel like you have money that's you've already pledged to give away mm-hmm. and then allows you to be generous when the time comes. And, and, uh, this is, if you're going to do it this year, giving it to St. Jude, I can't think of a better way to do it because I mean, they take care of families that are dealing with the most awful thing you can ever think of. Your child has cancer and and then you, you know, and unfortunately, United States people do go bankrupt when they get sick. And uh, you take that off the table for these people. They know that their kids are going to get good care. And uh, Stephen is a, a, a experienced it firsthand. But this isn't just about Stephen. This is about everybody out there that's dealing with this. And uh, and we really appreciate you making a donation. You know, think about something that you were going to buy that was dumb in the next few months, and just give it to St. Jude, and you'll feel so much better for it. Yeah, absolutely. We did we did experience it firsthand when our son had a cancer diagnosis. But one of my true blessings in my life is being associated with this hospital and meeting the families who come through. You know, St. Jude, it just happens to be in my backyard here in Memphis, but families come from all over the world for treatment. In fact, when a war broke out in Ukraine, St. Jude worked to get uh, some kids who were undergoing cancer treatment to get them out so they could continue their cancer treatments. And some of those families have ended up here, but St. Jude's stuff is also shared all around the world. So yeah, like I was impacted by it, but it's a, it's a huge honor to get to take their mission uh, out into the world and talk about it and meet people touched by it. So many incredible stories. Uh, you said something that they caught my ear. They're like, we're all going to spend money on stuff. Uh, some of us already have, uh, but it is also really cool because if you work at a company, uh, chances are most companies have some version of this where a company will match your donation to uh, organizations. And so if you go to the campaign page, which is stjude.org slash relay, on that page, uh, there's a link to donate, but there's also a link to fill out a form. So if you work for a company that offers uh, matching donations, Fill out that form, let us know, and we can make sure that matched amount uh, shows up on our progress meter. We're trying to raise about half a million dollars this year. That will put us at $2 million over four years, which is so incredibly humbling to be to be able to do that. It's because of folks that are listening to our shows who connect with this and and want to see good in the world. And uh, I'm, I'm the same as you, David. I give money to a bunch of places throughout the year, but St. Jude is a monthly thing for Mary and I, uh, because of what the work that they do, not just for our son, but for lots of people's children. So, uh, please get involved. Uh, you want to go to stjude.org slash relay. It's the first thing in the show notes this week. We would love your donation. I was just talking to a friend yesterday that works for Apple and he was talking about how he's going to make a St. Jude donation and he's going to double it because Apple will, will match his contribution. Yeah. And, um, you know, and Apple's not the only company out there doing it. So make sure to check in on that. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, it's definitely not just the big tech companies. Like lots of small and medium businesses do this too. And if they have a program, but St. Jude's not part of it, work with them to get St. Jude added. And if you need help with that, let us know. Uh, it's it's really cool to see people and their employers get involved. And, you know, we have a lot of people all over the world who listen to this show. So uh, please help us make a dent in this fundraising. All right. Well, uh, it is truly an honor to be a part of this fundraiser every year. And if you're listening, you know, give some money to St. Jude. 
You can, it, you'll feel great. I mean, it, there's a selfish reason for it. it. There's nothing that makes you feel better than, than helping another person. On more power users today, we're going to talk about what may be left in Apple's year um, and maybe early next year too. I've got some thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, but before we get there, let's, let's talk about the event. Um, so uh, we weren't at this one. We got to go to the last one. That was pretty cool, but uh, I kind of enjoyed watching it from home. We got to do a bunch of stuff in the Max Barkey labs, but they were back at Apple park. Um, they also had a lot of, you know, pre-canned video. Yeah. The whole thing, basically. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's just going to be the way it is for now on? I kind of do. I mean, at WBC, we were both there and, you know, Tim Cook and Craig Federighi came out on stage and they sort of waved at people and then they, you know, hit play and the video played to us and streamed on the internet. Exact yeah. same thing yesterday. People were in the Steve Jobs theater, obviously, many fewer people than at WWDC because you have all, you have all the developers at the developers conferences, just press. And I kind of think it is because it gives people at home and in person, the exact same, you know, the exact same, uh, experience, I guess, of watching the keynote and they can do it in advance, right? They can, they can make it perfect, you don't run into things like demo failures and that sort of thing because if you have a demo hiccup and it's going to be a video, you just edit it out. You just do it again, right? And so, yeah, and exactly. so I think Apple likes the control and they get to do cool stuff, like get to show you uh, different parts of the campus. And I would imagine, actually, I, I know this for a fact because I've talked to developers who uh, at Apple who have been in the session videos at WBDC. Yeah. There are a lot of people who, and rightfully and understandably so, aren't comfortable on a stage, right? But they are comfortable in their office or on a set doing a video where they know they can have multiple takes and go over it and go over it. And so I think it also, I think another benefit is we see more of Apple's workforce when this is the setup as opposed to it being on stage. And so Honestly, I think it's basically all upside for Apple. And so I kind of think this is going to be how it goes uh, here on out. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. It is the 1Password application both Stephen and I use to protect ourselves and our families online. 1Password brings so many tools to bear on protecting you. First, it allows you to create strong and unique passwords for every website or service that you sign up for, and then it manages it all that for you. So all you have to remember is your 1Password, and that's why they have the name. But the thing about 1Password is it's in a company where every person that works there is dedicated to protecting its customers' privacy, and they do so many cool features on that regard. For instance, One of the things they do is they track websites that get hacked and they'll compare that to the list of passwords you have. So it'll tell you when you open the app, you're saying, hey, you're using this this website. Well, guess what? They got hacked. You should probably change your password there. And it does that for you because I don't want to keep track of all that stuff. They also are constantly writing cool blog posts and entries to help you protect your privacy. Most recently, they wrote a post about doxing and uh, doxing is that hacker thing where they identify somebody and they you know put your name out there into the public when you don't want it out there but it also talks about social engineering and ways that you can be vulnerable without realizing it and uh, not only do we need to protect ourselves a lot of times people that listen to mac power you just need to protect their family as well especially elderly relatives that are so subject to these types of social engineering hacks 
Um, so I would recommend reading this article. I'll put a link in the show notes for it. Um, and it gives you some great advice on how to protect yourself and others. But that's just what 1Password does. I mean, when you sign up for their service, you're getting that whole team at your back at all times. They always keep on top of all the risks to your privacy. And uh, I just am so happy as a customer. I just paid my renewal. I have the family plan. You can get that too. Just go to um, 1Password.com slash MPU in all caps. I, I used all caps this time. I got my own discount. Isn't that cool? So uh, just 1Password.com slash MPU in all caps. You get a nice 20% discount on that family plan. Protect everybody in your family. So go check it out. 1Password.com slash MPU in all caps and sign up today. So the first thing up in the keynote uh, was the Apple Watch and Apple overhauled the whole lineup. So there's there's now three watches. There's the Series 8, there's the SE, and there's the new Apple Watch Ultra, which was pretty heavily rumored. Uh, let's start with kind of the main line. Let's start with the Series 8. Okay. Actually, before we do that, can we just pour one out for the Series 3? Oh, no. Good riddance. Like Yeah. The, the watch that should have died a long time ago, but didn't. Yeah, it, it's gone, <laughs> thankfully. And yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't even support watchOS 9, and it was for sale until this week. It's not 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 awesome. Yeah, yeah, that, that was bad. And updates, oh, just, let's just forget about it. Let's pretend it never happened. Works for me. Uh, okay, so, you know, the, um, the Apple Watch 8 is a successor to last year's uh, watch. Um, a couple things, uh, you know, we lost the titanium Apple watch, you know, premier level Apple watch, and we got something else instead, which we'll talk about in a minute, but, um, it was evolutionary, not revolutionary. Uh, the newest sensor that the two new sensors that really stood out to me, one is the temperature sensor and the other one was the crash detection. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, the temperature first, because, um, we, we did a thing in the Max Rocky labs yesterday and, and, um, someone called in and she had made the comment that it looks like this temperature sensor is way more about measuring variance in temperature than accurate temperature. And that didn't really sink into me until she said it, but I think that's exactly what's going on here. We've heard a lot of reports about how hard it is to take temperature on the back of someone's wrist. I mean, Growing up, there were a lot of places people tried to take my temperature, yep. but the the, wrist, the back of the wrist was never one of them. And now that's Apple's job is to figure it out. And uh, the way they've done is they put a sensor, an ambient sensor at the top of the glass, and then they've put one at the bottom so they can measure the difference. So hopefully if you're out on a hot day or a cold day, that's not, you know, it can take that into account. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it looks to me, and, and I think one of the reasons why a big emphasis was cycle tracking was because differences in temperature there matter so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I feel like they haven't really nailed the temperature sensor yet to a degree they can say, oh, you know, you're 96.7 or what is this? What is it? Isn't that what it is? I, I don't, a, I don't know. <laughs> I flashed back I, to like elementary school science class and I got, yeah, I got I nothing. Forget. <laughs> Everybody right now is like banging their head. I know we have a lot of doctors that listen. Yeah, and, and, so uh, sorry. 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 But the, uh, whatever, <laughs> it, it's not going to give you an accurate reading to that degree, but I think it can yeah. say, oh, wait, your temperature is going up or your temperature is going down. I mm-hmm. think it can do that pretty effectively. And even the temperature measurements for cycle tracking, really it's ovulation tracking, which if you're in that phase of life is a very important thing to know, depending on your circumstances. That requires you to wear the watch overnight. Um, my guess is that these temperature sensors, like you said, there's two of them. They're kind of figuring out the difference. Like, 
they're just not accurate enough where they are on the body, but they feel like they can do this um, correctly. And even the ovulation tracking is in hindsight. So it will tell you sort of retrospectively, oh, it looks like you ovulated on this date, you know, yesterday or two days ago or something. So it, it I think it's going to be used for people who are, are tracking that sort of thing, probably in conjunction with other tools that are available, but still very cool. And I, I was really excited a few years ago when they added cycle tracking. I think that obviously is a, a huge part of a lot of people's health. I mean, and, and so many tech products, you know, are kind of male focused either by omission or not. And so I was excited to see this. And I think uh, Apple rightfully so spent a lot of time talking about, you know, your, your cycle tracking data, but especially, but health data on the whole, it stays on your device. It's encrypted when you use a passcode, touch ID, or face ID. It's end-to-end encrypted uh, with iCloud if you have two-factor authentication turned on. And I think last week Apple said 90-something percent of iCloud accounts have two-factor turned on now. And so it, it seems like if you're going to keep this information on a device, this seems like a pretty good way to do it. And obviously this information is very private. And so people want to keep it, uh, keep it secure. And I think Apple did a good job at explaining of how they, how they handle that data. Yeah. It it is an interesting conundrum. They have, they want to keep it private, but they also want to make it accessible to third-party apps so you can have better services on your devices. But I think Apple's kind of walked the line in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Um, But just out of Curiosity, I just looked at it. It's 98.6. That, there we go. That's the, yeah, but but apparently there's some controversy now whether or not that's a good number or not. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. So I, I think this is an overall theme for Apple is health and safety of users. And I think this is one of the themes coming out of the Tim Cook era. And I know he's very interested in this. Um, this idea of them becoming a company about helping you with your health. Uh, one of the things that slid into the keynote at one point was them saying that the Fitness Plus would be available to everyone in a few months. Did I hear that right? Yeah, it's not going to be tied to an Apple Watch anymore, so you can use Fitness yeah. Plus just on your phone. Uh, I would yeah. imagine that has obviously less in terms of health metric data because some of that is uh, requires the watch, I guess. But yeah. yeah, still cool. And you know, Fitness Plus, we've talked about on the show before, Y'all use it. We use it. Uh, it's been, it seems to be popular amongst people who have discovered it. And this is a way to get it in front of more people. Yeah. And they opened up with the video about the people that had heart issues or the guy who was chased by a bear and mm-hmm. used their Apple watch to, you know, kind of help save them. And, you know, I, I just think this is a big focus of Apple. And I think they're yeah. going to continue, you know, on this track and, and crash detection is another one came out of nowhere. I didn't, I don't think I heard any rumors about it, but you know, software features so often are kept secret, but mm-hmm. it seems like a natural you know progression. They figured out fall detection a few years ago and then somebody said, okay, what else can we help with? And yeah. you know, when you're in a car accident and they used to do the videos where someone was in a car accident and then they would call for help. But what if you're in a car accident and you're unconscious or you can't reach your watch um, well, now they've got a way to detect that and call for help without your assistance. Yeah, super cool. Uh, that's also, we'll get to the phones later, but also in the new phones, which I think is actually really important. So yeah. a lot more people drive around with a phone in their car than a watch on their wrist. So I think yeah. that's that's a really nice addition. And 
the yeah the crash detection is it's a good just a good idea right you have these sensors and they can continue to put uh, a better and better picture of the world around you together and uh yeah i think it's it's gonna probably save a bunch of people yeah that that'll be the next subject of videos at, at an event i'm sure i was thinking what's the low hanging fruit here we've got falls and we've got car crashes you know, I don't know. I mean, as falling downstairs is already covered with the falls. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What is the other thing us as humans manage to do? Yeah, I can tell you if you crash a bicycle, the fall detection works there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't have predicted the car crash thing. So yeah. uh, there's obviously smart people working on this sort of thing. But overall, I feel like the ser- like that's kind of it with the Series 8. It, you know, the Apple Watch for a few years now has kind of been on this trajectory of, it's pretty good. Battery life's pretty good. You get, you know, 18 hours or so, and they're just continuing to add more features to it. Uh, like you said, there's no titanium model. There's four finishes of aluminum, four finishes of stainless. One of those stainless ones is only available if you get the the Hermes watch. But uh, so they simplified the, the the Series 8 a little bit by getting rid of the addition. That That is no longer a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, but we did get a new Apple Watch, and uh, I, you know, they they ended up naming it the Apple Watch Ultra. Uh, I was kind of thinking Extreme would be the name, but it was Ultra. But I think Hackett could have also worked the Apple Watch Hackett <laughs> because of everyone I know. You seem to break more Apple watches, and the uh, yeah. and uh, and they made one for people like you, Stephen. So uh, so let's talk about it. It's a uh, it's 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 a big boy. <laughs> And uh, 49 millimeters. Um, it's big. And yeah, it, it does have some custom bands, but it does support the older bands as well. Um, Which I was is watching, cool. Really yeah, cool. No, yeah, I mean, that's like the the constraint of the Apple Watch now is it's got to fit a, a large lug, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I was looking at it this morning and I realized it's just tall. You know, I mean, the way they did that, it's not square. It, it It's a tall watch. And it's going to be really big on your wrist because it's 49 millimeters, but um, uh, it's got a flat screen. Uh, it's got orange highlights. It's got an orange uh, ring on the crown. It's got this new button on the left side. That's an orange button. Uh, both listeners of the show know Steven and I have a thing about orange. So we, we, were, we, we were both excited when we saw the orange mm-hmm. uh, sapphire glass. It's got a rim around the glass. I was thinking about the time you smash your watch, watch into a rock. Did you hit it in the center of the crystal or on the side? Kind of like in, in the corner. So this, this may have saved it. it very yeah. well may have saved it. Yeah. So it's got a, it's got like protection around the edge of the glass and the glass is flat. And, um, but it, you know the thing that really stood out for me the first time I saw it was wow that's really big and then it's also got like a crown protector you know like some of the fancy watches have like a a metal out dent on mm-hmm. the side of the watch where the crown is so the crown doesn't get bashed into things this has that along with a a, a proud button like the button is a little proud of the of the casing uh, which they explained is make it easier to use with gloves um, I mean this thing was really built around activity you know it's made for people who are going to go on long runs and hikes and into the snow and into the water um it's the rugged edition of the apple watch you can also dive twice as deep with it and it has a diving mode there's going to be a, some third-party apps that extend that it's a legitimate dive computer i mean yeah 
I mean, I've scuba dived several times and the deepest I've ever been is a hundred feet. And this goes down 120 feet. I mean, for someone like me, who's not a serious diver, I mean, you know, although I have to admit, I don't think if I was going to dive, cause I always dive with a, with a, a pro, I don't dive on my own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the guy I dive with has a serious computer, uh, diving computer. I right. don't think he's he's gonna like say, oh, I don't need to bring this. <laughs> I mean, the problem is like when you when you start coming, you got to like calculate how much oxygen you have, and you can't rush to the top. And there's all this stuff you have to do. And although it looks like this has all of the tools you would need, I'm not sure that this is something people are gonna just throw away their dive computers for. But either way, the fact is, this watch goes to 120 feet, and it has dive computer fit functions in it. You know, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, Dave. Yeah. They've said they said that it was years in the making, and looking at all the capability they built into it, I totally buy that. You know, having yeah. this thing be able to last a long time on battery, but also last a long time in terms of being rugged. You know, the new band designs are all like rugged and tough. I think they all look really good. I think it's really exciting. You know, this is the moment where the Apple Watch kind of finally. You know, maybe for like for the first time, splits into more than one product. I mean, we've had the SE for a while, but that's really just a cut down Apple Watch. Yeah. This is kind of the moment where it's like diversifying. And I think it's good. I think there are people who would like the functionality of an Apple Watch in everyday life, but they're using and they're wearing something like a Garmin because in their exercise life, they need more than what the standard Apple Watch can give. And so I think a lot of people who would like to move to uh, you know an apple watch will do that but i think there's also an element of aspiration with this watch of if you're looking at taking your fitness to the next level or you're in the market for maybe your first smart watch and before you were looking at apple or a garmin or something like that apple has now entered that market and uh, i think that's really cool uh, i think it's it's high time the apple watch has kind of spread its wings a little bit yeah well i mean and, and let's there's there's even more features too um that I thought were notable. It's the new wayfinder face is super information dense, but it's built around this. It's got an 86 decibel siren because it's got a new speaker system in it. That's much louder. And um, so if you're out in the wilderness and you fall or whatever, and someone's looking for you, you can turn off the siren. I'm super curious to hear the siren. I mean, one of the places I hike several years ago, a mountain lion attacked um, a biker on the trail that I hike, you know, and so it's something you always worry about. I don't bike it anymore. I just hike it, but I carry a big stick and and I have a noisemaker because the easiest way to scare away uh, a lot of wildlife is a loud noise. This isn't that, right? You know, but 86 decibels isn't the kind of noisemaker I carry. <laughs> but the uh but you know, it's just good stuff that they're they're coming up with to fit in this thing that that you wear on your wrist. Um the battery life I think is a whole separate discussion. You know, it's a, they claim 36 hours with an update coming in the fall that'll get it to 60. And I think that even people who aren't going to be, you know, hitting the Serengeti Trail, um, the 36-hour battery life may be something they like. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, it, that'd be sweet. It, I mean, this I, could get you through like a weekend away, you know? Yeah. Agreed. And and the, the segmentation of the Apple Watch line, I've been kind of on a journey with that. When these rumors were first starting, I was kind of um, against it in a way because I always liked 
the kind of what I was calling the democratization of the Apple Watch. Like whether you bought the $20,000 gold one or the $300 aluminum one, you got the same guts. And now we've got a watch with different features. And, um, but then when you think about like the iPhone and the iPad, all of Apple's products eventually get there. And I guess that's just a sign of maturation or anything else. And it allows them to make a watch that has a 36 hour battery, but not require everyone to pay the cost of a watch that has a 36 hour battery. And all of that for a price. Now in the uh, Max Barkey labs, we did a thing and we had a discord where, you know, a couple hundred of us were in there kind of like commenting. And at some point somebody asked, well, how much is this going to cost before they announced the price? And the prices that people were estimating, the lowest was $9.99, and people were up in the $1,500 range. This is when I was getting word about my St. Jude donation. <laughs> and then they announced $7.99, and it felt to me kind of like that iPad moment when they announced yeah. the iPad, oh, yeah. and they said, oh, yeah. and this is $500. And you're like, what? You know, um, I was actually surprised at the price. It was lower than I expected. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's stainless steel Series 8 territory. Definitely yeah. cheaper than I than I thought it would be. I was really bracing for, I, I kind of thought $9.99 would be about where we were. But yeah, yeah I mean, look, 800 bucks, it's, it's a lot of money. Like, you can buy an yeah. iPhone for that. But for what it is, I think it's less than we, than we expected, which is cool. Yeah, and you, you could buy, in fairness, you could buy a really nice analog watch, that in three years isn't going to feel dated and have a bad battery. You <laughs> That's <know>? true. <laughs> um, so it is a, you know, it is a thing. Uh, but it, it was still for the package you get, you know, a dive computer and all these other features. It doesn't feel like it's be, you're being gouged. I feel like, yeah, you know what? That, that's probably a pretty good price for that watch. Do you want to talk about now if you ordered one? Yeah. As if, if there's a question. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I did not initiate a trade-in on my Series 7 because I am concerned about the size. You know, I've got, I don't yeah. know, kind of like middle-of-the-road wrists, but yeah. a little worried. Uh, and so I'm going to hang on to the Series 7 and make sure this works for me before I uh, I fully make the plunge. But yeah, I'm yeah. excited about it being more rugged, and I like the features, I like the way it looks. Look, I'm not going to go run across the desert like some of its capability will be lost on me, but that's probably true for most people who order this anyways. Yeah. I mean, I, I like spend a lot of time in the surf and I do get hammered when I'm out in the ocean. And, and sometimes you literally don't know which way's up when you're, and I, I don't wear my watch into the ocean because I'm always afraid I'm going to wreck it. And like something like this would probably be okay. But yeah, I have a hard time justifying the watch except maybe for the batteries and the looks, but uh, nonetheless, I also pre-ordered one. <laughs> but the, uh, awesome. I just, I, I'm just super curious because it's such a new design, and uh, I like the look of it. And I'm just super curious. I also have a feeling that I may not keep it because uh, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's so big. It's like wearing, you know, uh, it's just like wearing a, a very large thing on your wrist. I, I don't know if that's going to feel ridiculous or not. But uh, I got the one with the orange band, and uh, we'll see how it goes. And like you, I'm holding on to my other one. I haven't. I have, I would not recommend selling your watch back to Apple in any way. They pay too little for them. That's true. But but the um, I'm not like listing my old one. I actually my old watch is is only a year old, so I I could recover a lot of the cost of this yep. thing if I if I do decide to keep it. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna try it. 
And Seth goes, I felt like this is something like going in the Apple store and just trying it on isn't enough. I feel like I have to wear it for a few days yeah. and sleep in it and like kind of just get a feel for it. But there, there's a non-zero chance that this will be too big. Um, yeah, same. We'll see. And it's in the hands-on videos, you know, that have circulated. It, it looks pretty, pretty big. Yeah, I saw I Justine wearing one, and it was like, it it was like it spanned her wrist, like yeah. so much so that the, the band was like vertical coming off the side, and there was air underneath. And I was like, that just doesn't seem quite right for a watch, but uh, we'll see. Uh, Apple Watch SE. Yeah, so this is the the kind of low-end anchor of the product lineup now because, like we said, the Series 3, thankfully, is gone. The old Apple Watch SE was 279 This one now starts at 249 which means Apple has, has, at least for now, given up the $199 price point for an Apple Watch. Yeah. Which kind of bums me out. I feel like the the distance between 199 and 249 is really important in the market, but I guess they're un, unable uh, to get it down there. Like before, it's basically a cut down sort of mainstream Apple Watch. It's one millimeter smaller in size than the Series 8, and it lacks really uh, a handful of features that you find on the Series 8. So no blood oxygen or ECG stuff inside. Uh, doesn't have the new temperature sensing a capability, no fast charging, which was introduced last year. But I think the biggest bummer and the biggest way in which the SE is different from its cousins is that it does not have the always-on display. So it's the old style. You got to pick up your wrist, and then the display comes to life. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. It has fall detection. It has crash detection. So I think if you're you know purchasing an Apple Watch, you know the holidays are coming up. They're not that far away. If you're purchasing an Apple Watch for a family member who, you know, maybe it's like the one that we gave my mom, like it's basically a fall detection machine, then I think the SE is a much better deal than it was previously. But it's uh, it does lack some of the the modern things that if you've had an Apple Watch in the last few years, I don't think you'd be I don't think you'd be happy going to an SE. But in terms of an entry point, I'm mostly okay with it at this point. And there's a group of people who want an Apple Watch to give them notifications on their wrist and maybe have family members that want, like if they're, if they're kids, you want to have the location aware stuff on them. Yes. Or if they're like elderly parents, you want, maybe you want the location aware stuff on them too, or fall detection, um, the heart rate monitoring. I mean, they put the important sensors in there for, for that scenario. So I think it is what it is. I suspect a lot of people listen to MPU are probably going to want at least an eight, you know, at least the, the main line watch. But yeah, um, I, I like that the price got dropped a little bit, you know, and um, uh, I know the series three was one ninety nine, and this used to be two seventy nine. Now this is, they split the difference. This is a two forty nine uh, for 250 bucks. You can get an Apple watch, you know, on yourself or somebody else. And uh, that's not bad. I think it's time, Steven. It is to, time. You need, pick, you need to pick out a watch for me. Well, you picked out a watch. You bought the the Ultra. Yeah, okay. So yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, so seven ninety nine. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you over iMessage a link. Uh, a right. bunch of different people are doing fundraisers this year. You can set up your own fundraiser this year and do your own kind of campaign alongside us. Okay. Uh, this particular campaign is by our friend uh, Matt Van Ormer. He is a mod in the Relay FM Discord. 
And he's doing a great campaign this year. He does a lot of stuff for Relay behind the scenes. And I think his campaign deserves a bump. So I just oh, sent I'm you that help. link. And I think uh, 800 bucks that way would be sweet. I, I think I think you're right, man. Here we go. It even supports Apple Pay. It's great. Donation complete. All right. There it is. All right. All right. Well, you know what? I just helped Matt out on his goal. Very cool. And you know what? It it does feel great donating money to St. Jude. You know, I think of all the dumb stuff I spend money on every year. This is not one of those. And whether or not I keep the Apple Watch, that was a good use of my money. So there we go. All right. Sounds good. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important. Because with Text Expander, your team's knowledge base will be at their fingertips no matter where they're working. You can get your whole team on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone who needs to use it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and they're not spending time reinventing the wheel. Just think about a support position for a second. You're getting tickets in from customers. They have questions. They're looking for URLs. They need uh, answers. And with TextExpander, you can build a library of content to make sure that your messaging back to your customers is consistent and correct at all times. If you need to make a change to some of that messaging or a URL gets updated, you can change it in one place and it syncs everywhere with TextExpander for Teams. It's really awesome. I can't imagine doing my work without it. TextExpander works no matter where you are, Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Any place you're typing, you can use TextExpander. You can deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes. It really is that easy. If you visit textexpander.com MPU, you can learn more and sign up and you'll get 20% off your first year. That's 20% off your first year of TextExpander by visiting textexpander.com MPU. Our thanks to TextExpander for the support of MPU and RelayFM. Okay, so we just didn't hear about watches this week. We also got to hear about the new iPhone. I mean, that's what this is all about, right? They talked about the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Pro. I'd like to start with the discussion of the Pro because I think that's the most interesting thing. Yeah, a lot of really cool stuff this year. You know, the case is basically the same except for the front, but... And except for the bulge on the back. Yeah, yeah, the camera bump keeps getting... It's not really a camera bump anymore. It's a camera with a phone, you know, kind of built around it. But uh, yeah, it's a, a camera platform. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, some really cool stuff here. So do we want to start with what's inside? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, naturally we'll start with the transistor. Uh, we've got the A16, 16 billion process transistors, 17 trillion operations per second. And the thing that was surprising to me is they got it to a four nanometer process uh, the prior was a five nanometer and the smaller that gets the, the more battery efficient they become. Uh, I didn't expect that, you know, cause there's been a lot of rumors that they're working towards a three nanometer process, but apparently they, uh, they had a transition, the transition step here. And this could be the, the groundwork for an M three line of, of processors in the Mac. Uh, they seem, we don't have very much data here. So it seems like yeah. kind of every other a series chip, those cores, form the foundation of the M series chip. So yeah. the the Mac would benefit from the power and heat reduction from the process change as well. 
Yeah, and they, so they make this chip for the phone first, and then they make you know almost a billion of them, and they get pretty good at it, and then they modify it to the Mac chip. Um, so you know that's that's the news. It, actually, if you look at the performance specs, it's not a huge jump over the A15, but you know it is progress. Um, but the big progress in hardware that I'm most excited about, and we talked about this even before the event, is. Uh, the rumor came true. There is a 48 megapixel camera now in the iPhone Pro. Yeah, this is this is cool. So how it works is they use the larger sensor, and of course there's revised lenses and stuff and different focal lengths, which we'll talk about. But basically they use four, uh, I guess four subpixels of the sensor and combine them into one. And so Samsung and some other companies have done this. It's called, it's called pixel binning, uh, sort of the phrase you hear in the, in the industry. But it means that they can hopefully get much better low light performance. And if you shoot in ProRes RAW, or ProRAW, excuse me, then you get the full 48 megapixel image. So hopefully apps uh, like some of the high-end camera apps that we've talked about in the past would be able to tap into that. But a lot more data, a lot more light coming in. And I'm I'm really excited about it. I think that, you know, this has been something Apple works on every single year and some years are bigger than others. But this seems like a, a good step forward, especially in low-light performance, which has always been a struggle of these of these phones because the sensors are so small, right? There's only so much light you can get in on a sensor that's tiny. And so any yeah. movement there is uh, is good. Yeah, and, you know, now the sensor's tiny, the lens system is so shallow. It just, it just can't collect enough light. And this is exactly the way you would think of Apple doing something like this, where, yes, it's a 48-megapixel sensor, but they're not really using it as a 48-megapixel sensor. They're almost using it as a 12 super megapixel sensor, you know, because they're, they're collecting data on four sensor pixels and conglomerating it into one, which ultimately they're estimating and gives you two times better low light performance. And if you're listening to this, you know what that means? Well, if you're indoors, that's usually low light, you know, you don't have the sun lighting things up. So most of your pictures are taken indoors. And if it can collect twice as much light, then suddenly you get way more detail. The picture's less noisy and you, you know your your portrait mode is going to look better. Just everything gets a little better, and a two x improvement, given all the improvements they've made in the past, is significant. I, I feel like we're going to see some really nice comparison photos when this thing starts getting to reviewers and getting out to the world. And I am fully expecting that uh, this will be a very nice upgrade for the camera. They also replaced some lenses. The ultra wide, we got a, we got a new lens on the the main uh, camera lens, but the ultra wide got um, a significant upgrade. And I I found in the last year I use the ultra wide lens a lot, and uh, but you always do see a difference because that was never as good of a lens as the mm-hmm. main lens. Well, now it, the ultra wide is three times better at low light collection. So uh, I feel like the ultra wide lens is gonna you're gonna see notable improvement there as well. I think so too. I've definitely had that experience. When you switch to the ultra wide, you kind of feel like the quality drops off and bringing those close to each other is, uh, is only going to be a good thing. And you, you mentioned it, but because they have this big sensor and they can just use the center 
kind of 12 megapixel area that you have a, a the return really of a standard 2x zoom level uh last year maybe the year before they switched to 3x on the telephoto lens on the pro and yeah. i always felt like that was a little too punched in for some of the stuff that i wanted to do and so now uh, we'll have 0.5x which is the ultra wide 1x 2x which are both on the main camera but native resolution and then you'll have the 3x on the telephoto so more capability and, and flexibility i think here without adding a fourth lens because how many lens i mean it's going to look like the back of my pro display if we go too much further so i thought it was cool they could kind of pull double duty there with the uh, focal lengths i'm very curious about the 2x because the the way it's doing that is it's a it's cropping the sensor so you see this on like big slr cameras the sony's that steven and i own do this where you can just like take a smaller center portion of the sensor and then use that now if you're going from 48 megapixels, you take the center that gives you a 12 megapixel image. And that is not the super megapixel because it's not putting four pixels into one. It is just one pixel per pixel, I guess you would say. So uh, it will not be as high performant in terms of low light performance. I, I'm just curious to see if you can tell a difference or not. Uh, this was definitely not a possibility when it was a 12 megapixel sensor because mm-hmm. if you crop in you get down to like three megapixels yeah. and that's not, you know, <laughs> that, quickly. No, that's, that's not acceptable right now, but at 12 megapixels, I just want to see how they look. I feel like if there's any one of these new settings that is going to be questionable, will be that one. Um, because I feel like the one X is going to be so much better at light collection than the two X. Um, you may not want to use that indoors too much, but you know, we'll just have to try it out and see. Yeah. They improve the flash as well. I honestly never use the flash um, unless I like, maybe I use it like four times a year. I just really try not to use it, but maybe, you know, they've made improvement on that. I don't know. And then as Steven mentioned earlier, if you want all the megapixels, you can use pro raw. And I feel like this is the year I need to like play with pro raw and get Mm -hmm. a better feeling for it. Um, uh, But I think this is something you'd want to do outdoors on a well-lit day. You don't want to do this, don't try this when your kid is blowing out their birthday candles, but yeah, that's cool. And uh, so now you have lens uh, reaches with that two X mode. You've got 13 for the ultra wide 24 for the standard 48 millimeters for the two X, which is a very popular portrait lens uh, um, length. And then 77 with the three X three X, by the way, the zoom lens did not get a replacement lens. It doesn't seem like it really uh, made any jump this year. Although they say that the new system of uh, analysis, which they call the uh, photonic engine, Apple had some great, they had some great labels this year, photonic <laughs> engine. The photonic engine is supposed to help the 3X look better in low light. So we'll see. But um, it did not get any hardware improvements. On the video side, we did not get 8K recording, but we do have some changes to uh, cinematic mode, which is the deal where you can change the focal point in post basically yeah Uh, you can now do that at 24 frames a second 4k hdr it'll do 30 frames a second as well and okay can i interrupt so that's a feature i was actually looking forward to okay i think i'm the only person in our nerd circle that's willing to use cinematic mode but the stuff daisy and i film at disney sometimes cinematic mode actually works really nice to like if you want to focus on somebody who's talking and not you know looking at someone eating a churro behind her um, 
cinematic mode is good for that. And I think it's, it's acceptable, but it meant that I could only shoot in 1K. So I like that. And I know a lot of people are upset about no 8K with this, but I kind of feel like if they can't do 8K well, they shouldn't do it. Agreed. You know, it's kind of like what they did on the phone lens. Even though it's got a, 20, a 48 megapixel sensor, it's really shooting 12 megapixel images. But just do them really well. And they've always kind of been a step behind others in terms of video resolution. Like they were slow to get to 1080. They were a little behind when it came to 4K as well. But yeah, they want to do it at all of those different speeds, but they also want to do it with all of the processing they do, right? They talk a ton about in video how there are all these intermediate frames and they pull focus and lighting. Like it's a lot of data and 8K would just explode that pipeline in terms of what they have to process. So I would imagine that, you know, it's in a lab somewhere, but probably not ready for prime time. Yeah, they they said in their literature, the photonic engine is doing four trillion operations per photo. Jeez. Trillion with a T. (laughs) And I got thinking, how do you, first of all, how do you get to that number? And the only thing I can think of is they're doing multiple operations on each pixel, you know, and, and that's the way you get to trillions because there's a lot of pixels when you start shooting, you know, 12 megapixels, 48 megapixels, and they're just doing a bunch of operations on all of them. And you to get that to 8K and it's like, it's just a completely insane and probably going to bog down the processor. But yeah, I, I'm all for the approach Apple is taking on this stuff. I am not interested in them having the highest megapixel images. I'm just happy, you know, interested in having the best images. Absolutely. And that, that's what all this is in service of, right? I mean, there are probably thousands of people at Apple who work on this stuff. And that's the goal. It's to take the best photo you can in as many different circumstances as possible. And I'm I'm really excited to see what this camera can do. I uh, I generally, you know, I go to college football games. It is uh, college football season when the new iPhone comes out. So that's always kind of my test is like I take the new phone to a football game, be like, how does the zoom look? How does the ultra wide look? How does it look in low light indoors? Like all that stuff. And so I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on this uh, here in a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, one other video uh, performance issue this year is they added a new thing called action mode, which is a, a, a higher degree stabilization to the video. When you put it in, it makes like walking and holding the camera uh, render more stable video. And I'm sure that's made possible by having 48 megapixels because oh, yeah. whenever you do stability, you've got to crop around the edges to make it stable. And the bigger, you know, the bigger the source image size, the the more leeway you have there. And that's another thing I am really interested in testing out because my experience has been that even the iPhone 13 did a very good job at stability. Like when I first got it, because I, you know, we talked about it on the show when Daisy and I first started playing around with this vlog at Disneyland. I tried a couple different cameras. I brought my fancy Sony in and worried about it all day. And then like I had another little camera I tried. And ultimately I liked the iPhone. And when the iPhone 13 Pro came out, I, I took some video with it and I thought, well, I'll try a gimbal. So I ordered a gimbal from Amazon, you know, one of the, the more reputable brands. And mm-hmm. then I shot video with it. And I could barely tell. I mean, and for the weight of throwing it in my bag and the awkwardness of walking around with a gimbal at Disneyland, it just seemed like it was dumb. So I didn't, I never even published the video on it, but it's just, you know, it was already, I felt like comparable to a gimbal shot. Now, if they're having something they're selling as action mode, which is supposed to be even better, uh, I want to see that because I, I think that really helps a lot of people like 
whether you're trying to do something silly at Disneyland or just chasing your kid around the front yard, you want the video to be stable. So we got to talk about the screen, right? Because my word, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is really cool. So the regular 14 retains the notch that we've you know known and loved for a long time. But the Pro has moved to something called the Dynamic Island. It's like, okay, can we just stop for a minute and just just <laughs> drink that in? You Welcome like the name? to Dynamic Island. You know what? I love it in a way that I love Apple. It's like, yeah. if Apple did anything less than that, I'd be disappointed. It, it's a crazy name. Um, somebody who was in the room told me that the whole room bust, burst out in laughter when they said it. <laughs> but you know what? I love it. And... uh I'm going to unabashedly just embrace the dynamic island. I, I think it comes from a place where they didn't really name the notch. In fact, they yeah. barely even acknowledge its existence. And I wonder if Apple hated that it just got called the notch, right? And so they saw an opportunity to brand this. But really, it, it's so much more than just the cutout around the face ID and the camera stuff. Because they are using that that black space up there at the top that houses those sensors, but extending it in software to do things like show a little equalizer and album art when you're playing music or a podcast. Uh, if you have, uh, in the future, once live activities get here, which we talked about WBC, which are the the kind of persistent notifications, like say you order an Uber and you like wait for your car, drive on the map, uh, the the on the lock screen it will keep that animated some of that stuff is coming into the dynamic island as well uh when you unlock with face id and then something like one password the face id automation will come out of that like pop out like a lot of playfulness and a lot of whimsy in the design and i love it like so many so many companies would or have just done a cutout and i think the cutout is nicer looking than the notch but to bring UI elements into it and make it expand and contract and do these things, I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited to play with it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things that Apple does. And then in a year or two, the whole industry will follow. I mean, it, there's just no question because if you're going to have the cutout, why not make it whimsical? And, you know, the animations bounce and it, the, what happens if you haven't seen it when you're listening to the show, go online and just take a look at it. But it like morphs itself into different sizes and puts data into it. Like if you have a timer running, the the notch will expand horizontally and put the, the timer countdown next to the notch just gets a little bigger. And it's got the timer countdown right there so you can see it. But after you finish the timer, the notch or the, uh, you know, the dynamic island shrinks down because it doesn't need to give you that data anymore. And it gets vertical and horizontal. And um, it, it reminds me of the feeling I got when I saw Apple's implementation of mouse support on the iPad. It's just uniquely Apple and whimsical and fun. And of course, they named it the Dynamic Island. That's what Apple does. But uh, the, the name is a distraction. It's just a really nice feature taking something that would be considered a negative on the camera, you got this big dark spot and turn it into a positive. And I, uh, I can't wait to, to see it in daily use. The other big thing with the screen is on the brightness side. So Apple's been cranking up the brightness, especially when in HDR mode. And they've done that again this year. Uh, but they've also 
put in a new variable refresh rate display, which powers the always-on screen. And so with the 14 Pro and 14 Pro Max, your phone is like on your desk, like mine is right now. It's just right there next to me. Uh, the screen's black, right? I, I can't see the widgets I have set up. I can't see my wallpaper. But the new Pros will will dim when the screen would go to sleep. And then when you pick it up or tap it or you know do anything else, it will, it will brighten it up. In the animations I've seen, it's very similar to the way the Apple Watch works. The wallpaper doesn't yeah. completely drop out. Like you can still see it. Everything's just dimmer and darker. And then it kind of breathes to life when you interact with the phone. We've talked about this since the first time we saw widgets on the lock screen in June that this was coming and it's here. And I think it's going to really make the iPhone more useful as sort of an ambient device. You know, you can just glance at it and not interact with it to check the weather or, you know, see what your next meeting is. Yeah, and that new screen now can refresh just down to one hertz per second, which means it's only updating itself once every second, which is going to preserve your battery while you're doing it. Um, I've, I'm already researching like vertical stands because I'm going to have to get this thing on a vertical stand now because I, I want to use that. And when you add that with the dynamic island, right, you've got your timers or whatever notifications popping up on your phone with that nice vertical screen and uh, the always on display. I, I think it's going to be a real nice uh, thing at your desk. You want to talk about um, the uh, the feature that none of us saw coming, and that's a satellite ca- connectivity. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, it, it has been rumored on and off, but I didn't think it was going to be this year. If you have the uh, your iPhone out in the middle of nowhere and you have an emergency and you don't have cell service, you can, if you're in the U.S. and Canada, <laughs> it's not yeah. worldwide yet, you can basically point your phone at the sky. A, a user interface will tell you kind of what direction to point it, and it helps you put a message together to send to emergency services. Uh, the bandwidth here is very limited. So if you're in a clear field with a clear view of the sky, it may take a few seconds to send. If you're underneath the trees, it may take a few minutes. Like it is very, very much an emergency only thing. You're not using satellite connectivity to browse Instagram. But what it means is if you are out of carrier range and you do have some sort of emergency, you can hopefully get in touch with local emergency, uh, you know, first responder type people. And the way that this works is the phone connects to the satellite. It sends the message. They have like a UI that gives you like pre-canned messages. So you can very quickly like, hey, I had a fall. I think my leg is broken, whatever. I'm, you know, put it together, send it off. In some areas, uh, emergency services can actually take those messages directly via text. Other places don't have that. So I think that's true like here where I live. To contact emergency services, you have to call 911. There's no other interface to them. And in that case, Apple will intercept the emergency message and call emergency services on your behalf and work as an intermediate to make sure that you have, uh, you know, the, the right people coming to where you are. We don't know anything about pricing. It's going to be free for the first two years of phone ownership. And past that, we'll see. And it is limited to the U.S. and Canada. So people like my brother, who we've had on the show, who, you know, he does work in Africa. He's been there several times. At this point, he's still going to have to carry a satellite phone next time he goes. But it is uh, opening up the door to, to your phone being more useful in a health and safety perspective 
when you're really off the grid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's great. And I'm sure there's, they're not at the end of this road yet, but they had to start somewhere and it's awesome. Although I was, you know, I was watching it with Daisy. I'm like, well, who's going to be at the, you know, the, the sample is this couple at the top of a mountain in like a snow and rainstorm. Somebody's injured, like in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, who would be up there with just their phone? I mean, maybe that was going to be at the top of the mountain would have other equipment. And Daisy's like, oh no, there's a lot of people that would be up there without anything but their phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, people just don't. I mean. I've been yeah. guilty of it, of going into situations underprepared. People, you never think the worst is going to happen. Or yeah. you, uh, you know, so like, for instance, uh, when I was in Colorado over the summer with my wife, we did a bunch of hiking in some national forests. We're like, there's not even like a breath of cell service, right? There's nothing. Yeah. And we got caught in a hailstorm coming back on this mountain trail. And like, we yeah. didn't have wet weather gear with us. But, you know, so we got soaked and freezing. It was terrible. Um, But in that situation, like say something really bad had happened, you know, I'd be the guy using this and then writing a letter to Tim Cook and then being in the commercial, I guess. But um, I I think it's, it's there as as a true safety net. If, if you're in a situation you didn't anticipate and I think it's really cool. I mean, there was such a, I've really just been kind of, surprised to see it glad to see it but surprised to see it the push on personal safety we've seen from apple over the last couple of years and this is a a big big example of it no i agree i agree more of it and i i don't think they intend to stop um uh, on that theme crash detection which we talked about on the new watches is also in the new iphones so even if you don't have the apple watch you're going to get the benefit of that Uh, battery life is a little better but nothing to write home about I was hoping with the low uh, refresh rate screen that the battery life would make a bigger jump. Like, you know, can it detect when I'm sitting in front of it and not interacting with it? Can it slow down the refresh rate to give me more battery life? But this was not the year for that, I guess, but uh, that's okay. Um, and then the colors. Let's talk about colors. We got for the, uh, for the, for the 14 Pro, you got gold, space black, silver, and the new color this year is purple. Yeah. Which will make Rosemary Orchard very happy, I'm sure. I thought about her the second I, I saw it. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a deep purple. Apple continues to use pretty subdued colors on the Pro phones. Uh, the Space Black definitely caught my eye because we haven't had like a dark, dark phone since the iPhone 7 and before that the iPhone 5. Yeah. And so that's the route I'm going to go. Uh, Space Gray is cool, but kind of over it. So space black, you know, looks a little bit darker. There were some pictures on Twitter floating around comparing it to the graphite of this year. And it looks pretty dark. It's not, you know, super black like some of those other phones were, but I think it's going to look pretty good. We did a meetup in the Max Parking Labs yesterday, right after the event. And one of the, the uh, members was talking about how his wife watched the event with him and said, Oh, I want the purple one. And he's <laughs> like, well, you don't normally get the pro. You're usually happy with the other one. She's like, I don't care. I want the purple. One. Yeah. And, and it just reminded me that like Apple, I feel like is dropping the ball with these colors. I don't know what the, I would really like someone from Apple sometime to explain. I know they never will, but why aren't there like eight colors of the iPhone pro? They sell so many of them. They could, you know, they used to stock eight colors of iPods, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they why do can't it with we, the iMac. <laughs> Why can't we have vivid colors like, you know, they exactly do with the iMac. It's just like, 
I, I just will never understand that. Like I would like to get one cause I've now for the, this will be the third year I'm buying the white one. I've just, that's the color I've landed on. It's good looking, but I am, um, but it's like, why is it that I can't choose like this year I did this, spent all this money building out the studio indoor studios. I thought oh, it'd be fun to have a green one this year to kind of recognize that I, I built the studio and I call it indoor studio and it's like a tree theme thing, you know? So I'll get a green one. Well, no, they're not going to make one. Sorry. You know, and that, that just kind of drives me nuts. Uh, I, 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 there's nothing more for me to say on it, but it is a little crazy that they, they, uh, they're so stingy with the colors. Another thing that happened is they announced that the new phones will not have SIM trace. Yeah. In the U S uh, going to all eSIM, which they introduced a few years ago, basically it, is a SIM card in software. So there's no little SIM tray anymore. None, no more like straightening out a paperclip and jamming it in there. The SIM card in my iPhone 13 pro has been in probably five or six iPhones at this point. So, uh, we'll, we'll make the move over to eSIM. Uh, I'll put a, a link in the show notes. There's a, uh, an article on Apple's uh, support site, walking you through the process of moving a regular SIM card over to eSIM it doesn't seem that bad. You know, I think as long as that process is smooth for most people, it's probably not a big deal. Uh, if you carry more than one phone or you switch SIM cards around for travel or something like that, it may be a little annoying, but I think for most people, this is not going to be a big deal. I feel like it's going to be a bigger deal than you think, because last year when I got my new watch, I had it that, which has an eSIM, I had to get AT&T to, move my account over from the old watch to the new watch. And it took a two hour phone call. Yeah. The watch is definitely more difficult to contend with. So that's my only experience with this. And it's like, am I going to have to go to the store? Like before it was very easy, right? You just swap the card. And then like, I always give my phone to one of my kids. So I pull their card out and put it in. Uh, if the carriers can get on board, this is fine. And Apple did, you know, they went out of their way to explain all the benefits of this, you know, and it's one less place for the, fo- for the phone to get water and all that. I get it, but I just, um, I just really dread that transition. <laughs> Hopefully the carriers get good at it. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. And you can do two. So if say that you travel between the U S and some other country on a regular basis, you can have two eSIMs and swap between them. So there are mechanisms for that sort of thing, but we'll see how this goes. Uh, I, I suspect that, uh, for most people it'll be, uh, it'll be mostly fine. That's most of this year's iPhone. Like we said, the regular iPhone 14, very much, iterative over the 13 it gets a bunch of the camera stuff we talked about it gets crash detection it uses the a15 from last year but with one more gpu core so not a big performance change on on the base phone and like rumored and like we've talked about at length the mini is gone and i have the 14 and the 14 plus 6.1 and 6.7 inches the same sizes as the pro i think the lineup makes a lot of sense i think that many people will probably be sad but my guess is that 14 plus the bigger 14 is going to do pretty well. Oh yeah. I think they'll sell more of those than they fill cell phone, uh, iPhone 14 pros. I think people are <laughs> Maybe be, a lot of people are going to be in on that. I mean, I, I, there are people in my life that have been buying 14, uh, have been buying pro max phones for the max, not the pro. And, uh, now they've got something else. Yeah, exactly. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to Indeed.com MPU and join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. When it comes to hiring, you need to trust your gut. But what if you could give your gut some help? When you want to find top talent fast, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. With Indeed, you can find top talent fast with their suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job post. Instant Match really is incredible. As soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates and you can invite them to apply right away. So much of hiring people is getting the right chemistry, but Indeed solves all those other problems, making sure they're qualified before you even get to that question. So you can join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. So go ahead and visit Indeed.com slash MPU to start hiring now. That's Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash MPU. And Indeed.com slash MPU, terms and conditions do apply. The cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So the last hardware we saw was updated AirPods Pro. Uh, for the first time, we've been on the original AirPods Pro for almost two years. And so they've gotten uh, a revision this time around. Yeah. Uh, 249. It is better, you know, but iteratively. Um, better active noise cancellation, the new driver, new amplifier. You know, they just got a little better over the last couple of years. I think one cool thing is if you're in transparency mode and there's a sudden loud noise, so the example they use is you're walking on a city street and a jackhammer goes off. It's sampling all the time and it can bring down the volume of the transparency mode very, very quickly. So you don't get your ears blasted by something loud when you're in that mode, which is which is really cool. Uh, there are a couple of minute hardware changes with the AirPods themselves. We can now swipe on the little stems for volume control, which I think is something a lot of people wanted. Um, and we've never really had, I mean, we've had to talk to Siri to change the volume or, or you know, reach for your phone or your watch. Yeah, I, I wish that would go on the standard iPods too. I'm sure, or AirPods too. I'm sure that will happen with the next iteration of those. And um, they've got new ear tips. So, like, you know, the thing with the AirPods Pro is you have to have a really tight fit in your ear because the idea is noise canceling and, you know, giving you certain features. And if you let external air into your ear hole, you are, uh, you're going to defeat the purpose. So, They've got four sets of tips instead of three to hopefully get the right fit for everybody. How, how did they fit for you, the the prior generation? They they don't fit well. It's uh, I don't know if it's a size. I'm going to try these. I'm going to try the new extra small tips. Uh, we just say the tips are not compatible with the original AirPods Pro, which is kind of a bummer. But the the extra small may make the may make the fit work for me. Uh, I find I just find them uncomfortable after a period of time, and I'm not sure if that's the seal or the sizing, 
you know, I record podcasts with in-ear monitors that were made with molds in my ear so they fit perfectly, and they don't bother me. I can wear them all day. And so hope, I'm hopeful that the extra small could maybe get me into the AirPods Pro lineup really for the first time. Yeah, they, they, they're comfortable with me and they're fine, but they do occasionally fall out. Um, and that, you know, so I'm hoping for the same thing. In fact, they explain, I guess you use your iPhone's depth sensor to map your ear to give you a better idea of how to use them. I, I didn't really understand that part of the keynote. That I think we'll have to find out more about that here shortly. Uh, I will tell you with the prior generation AirPods Pro, I eventually bought a set of memory phone uh, replacement yeah. uh, plugs, and those actually worked really well for me. And they just kind of adapt to the inside of my ear, and they're comfortable, and they're fine. But yeah, uh, I, the whole thing about the AirPods to me is like Apple has kind of intentionally or unintentionally created an earphone subscription service <laughs> just by the nature of it because – you buy a set of them, and after three or so years, the if you use them regularly, the batteries just start failing, and you can't replace the battery in them. And Apple's gonna have moved the technology along in the in the last three years. And this is, you know, we've already had this with the the original AirPods. They've had a new generation, or actually two new generations. And now the AirPods Pro have a second generation, and I feel like this is just gonna be a thing. Like ten years from now. We'll have the you know fourth generation AirPods Pro, which will be a little better than these. And and people, you know, so long as Apple makes them good, people will just come back and buy another pair after you know the batteries give it up. And Apple does have a, a really robust recycling program. So if if you're in that situation, you can make sure that they get handled uh, uh, correctly and appropriately. I mean, it is it yeah. is a bummer that these things are kind of disposable the way that they are. I don't love that at all but at least you can do the best you can when they reach the end of life. Yeah. Speaking of batteries, you get six hours of listening time on a single charge, 30 hours with the MagSafe charging case, which now has a little uh, dongly holder. You know, you can put a little handle on it. That's kind of nice. It's really cool. If you run with them uh, or just take them to the gym, it's going to be nice (laughs) around your wrist. Yeah. Or, you know, you can attach them to something or whatever. Um I thought an interesting bit of news is that you can charge it with the Apple watch puck. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too. So now that the new case charges via lightning MagSafe, regular Qi charging and the Apple watch puck. And uh, I just, I think what they're going for is like, if you want to go on an adventure, if you want to go on a hike with just your new Apple watch ultra and your AirPods pro, you can just bring one cable and charge both. So yeah, why not? Yeah. Oh, my favorite new feature of the case, it's got a speaker. So yes. when you misplace them, you can have it bring for that always drove me nuts, right? You know, it's like, where are my AirPods? And you know that the little AirPod speakers can sound off, but they're inside the case. Now you've got a little speaker in the case. Good, good going, Apple. Really cool. And it, it uses the new the U1 stuff. So you if you have an air tag, you've seen this where it gives you an arrow on your phone. It's like walk left, walk left. Uh that will now show up. I mean I don't know how many times a month I'm like looking for my AirPods around the house. It's yeah. <laughs> it's all the time. Are you going to buy a pair of these? Yeah, I'm going to give them a shot. Uh, I'm hopeful that the extra small tips would work for me. And uh, so, yeah, I will. I'll report back because I'm uh, I'm planning on making an order. I'm I'm waiting. I mean, my AirPods Pro that I have, I don't use them daily. I use the regular ones daily, but I do use them. 
but the battery life is still good. But, you know, when these fail, that'll be the next ones I buy. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, iOS 16, which is out on Monday, September 12th. And I'd say we start right up front and talk about the lock screen. We previewed this in the summer, but you and I now have both been living with iOS 16 for months. Uh, How has the lock screen shaped up for you? It it has improved over time. At the beginning, it felt like a stunt. And then as we started to see some uh, third-party beta apps show up, it became way more useful to me. Um, uh, I guess, can we say now some of the apps we've been using... I guess, should we say, I don't know. Well, <laughs> uh, let's just say some of the apps we talk about a lot on the show have go. been adding lock screen widgets. And, yes. and if there's apps that you love, there's a good chance that they are adding them too if they're actively developed. And I find that when I can customize that, I find it way more useful. But, you know, the big limit for me is like the idea behind this is I'm working on my computer uh, and I look down at my phone and I want to get a glanceable information, but it's not there because my phone screen is turned off. Well, mm-hmm. I need to, you really need the iPhone 14 pro, I think to get the maximum value out of this. Agreed. Um, but, but I do think it will be valuable. And like, even like dynamic Island, assuming that works in this mode where I can get, you know, timers and things showing up there too. Although now I think about it, that's probably not really what it would do. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think we know at this point. Uh, kind of the interaction between those things. Yeah, but either way, just the idea of getting information quickly, next appointment, tasks, that kind of stuff, and time, honestly, uh, with a glance. The nice thing is it keeps the uh, wallpaper on the screen, just a dim version of it. So if you've got mm-hmm. your loved one or your dog or a nice picture, you still kind of see it. I like that. I, I didn't expect that to stick around. Yeah, yeah, me neither. The widgets themselves, I mean, I think they're better thought about as complications, right? They're much closer to Apple Watch complications and DNA and look and feel than, you know, the bright, colorful iOS widgets we've had for several years now. Monochrome, basic design. You really only have a few slots. You've got one that shows above the time, and then you've got four small slots under the time and uh, that could also be used as like a, 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 a wide kind of 2x wide rectangular widget and then a couple of round ones next to it if you want. So you have some flexibility. It's definitely not like the, uh, the today view where you swipe over to the left of the home screen. And you have like a stack of bright, colorful widgets. These are a bit more subdued, but uh, I've been really happy with them. Like just to tap my phone and, or look at it and see the weather or where my activity rings are, my next calendar event. It's really in just a couple of short months without the always on display has kind of changed how I interact with my phone and for the better, I think. Yeah. I think it will be ultimately, you know, a much appreciated feature. Uh, I think one thing people are going to say is they want more because there really aren't that many that you get with the way it's set up. And power users are going to say, well, why not give me two rows of these things or, you know, give me more. And and I I don't think that Apple is going to be in a hurry to do that. But yeah, I I, overall, I I think they're great. And uh, your analysis or observation that these are watch complications, not iOS widgets is spot on that. In fact, it's the same. If you write a watch complication for your app, I understand that it's trivial to turn that into a lock screen widget. In terms of customization, we've got the widget stuff, but you also have 
uh, a lot of tools for custom lock screens. And there are some pre-designed lock screens. And so the way you get to these is you long press on the home screen, just like changing the Apple Watch face. They basically are reusing that same idea. Yeah. And there's, you know, maybe half a dozen or so pre-created, pre-designed lock screens from Apple. There's a lot of stuff that's sim- similar to what we see on the watch. So there's an astronomy one to see the Earth or the moon or the solar system. There's weather, which is really cool. It, it changes the background to your current conditions. So like the other day, it was stormy here, and I switched to my weather one as like lightning bolts across my lock screen, which was fun. Uh, and then you've got some that are, you know, colors or emoji. The clownfish wallpaper from the original iPhone has made a comeback. But you can you can go real deep in making your own as well, which is neat. Yeah, and, and there's a piece of this that ties to focus modes we'll talk about in a second. But and just overall, I think they've made um, uh, wallpaper and uh, lock screens something much more interesting, not only to nerds, but to anybody who owns an iPhone. I think you're going to see another wave of like personal customization, mm-hmm. which is just another sign to Apple that, you know, Boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could get a phone that has our favorite color too? I'm yeah. Sorry, I gotta stop. <laughs> when you put your own photos on it, uh, it is really cool. You can set your widgets up on them, and not all photos work. If you use a bunch of widgets, right, you might have the weather right on top of your kid's face. So it takes some tweaking. I've definitely kind of changed my setup over the summer, but you can set up this feature where it cycles through photos automatically like every time you wake up your phone or every day there's a couple different options there and i've found it really nice to have my photos there you can change you can make them black and white you can change the tint color you can do some basic editing on them and you can really make with all these things together some really cool unique looking things and it's interesting how it like does a good job of sussing out ones that you'd like to begin with anyway like it it picked a bunch of my favorite pictures of my wife and I'm sure it's using my favorites designation and you know, all the information it knows about me, but it got some great ones and I didn't have to go digging for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk about focus mode for a second. This is to me, the killer feature of iOS 16. Um, focus modes were great last year. We talked about them more last year cause they were new, but this year they got a lot more powerful um, I think Stephen and I are going to have to dig deeper on this. This episode's already long today, but um, I am really, of course, going hard at these focus modes because, you know, my my big thing is about computers and attention, and I feel like you know, contextual computing is a thing where we want we want you as a user to get to a way use a computer that doesn't distract you but allows you to do your most important work and. Mm-hmm focus mode is built around that. You know, it feels really good to get some validation from Apple on this. So uh, last year, the way focus mode worked was you had to pick an inclusive set of contacts and apps to be in a focus mode, um, which was okay for a lot of uses. But there were some uses where you're like, no, I want to let anybody in except these people, you know. So there was no exclusive way to do it. Or I want to let all apps in except these apps that are you know, distraction offenders. And now you can do inclusive or exclusive, which just really opens up a different way to build a focus mode. They've added focus filters 
And so you can say, when I open Apple Mail, just show me my work email, but don't show me my home email. Mm -hmm. And then when I get, when I put myself in my home focus mode, just show me my home email, but don't show me my work email. That is super powerful. You know how easy it is to get distracted? Maybe you're home doing something fun with your kids. And for whatever reason, you look at your phone and all of a sudden you see some email from work that just like sinks your heart. Well, if you use these focus modes, you won't even see it till the next day. And that also works with calendars and third-party apps can plug into it. Fantastical already has support for it. Um, this is great. Um, uh, also, you can use Safari tabs, like focus mode uh, filters on Safari tabs. So you hide the work focus uh, filters when you're home surfing. It's just way more powerful now. And then it ties into these home screens. So you can set designated home screens uh, via focus modes not only for your phone, but your watch too. So for instance, right now, as we're sitting here, I'm in my podcasting focus mode. My watch has a green face on it. I look at my watch. I know I'm podcasting. I mean, of course I'm <laughs> podcasting, right? But you know, but it, it, as I automate the process, you know, this, this watch face comes on an hour before the show. Cause I always want to go over everything one more time before we record. Mm-hmm. I look at my watch and it's green and I'm not sitting in front of my computer or a microphone. I know that I'm out of focus and I need to get back there. And, uh, this is really, really nice. Uh, I, I just feel like there's a lot more to this. I want to talk about it more. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are intimidated by it because it is a little fiddly. But it's the it's the beautiful kind of fiddliness that can change your priorities and help you get more out of what you're trying to do, whatever that is. And um, and uh, I uh, my hat's off to Apple for doing this, uh, doubly so, because they came back a second year and added even more features and fixed the things we were complaining about last year. And I hope that there is a focus mode team at Apple, and I just want to see this continue. And bringing it to the lock screens, like you said, I think it's going to put it in front of more people, right? Lots of people are going to try with this lock screen thing, and there's a focus mode button right there when you're editing the lock screen. And you know now your phone and your watch can really change context with you, where the lock screen, the home screen, notifications, apps allowed. You can really start to tie all of this stuff together, so... Uh, we will circle back to this uh, later, but uh, pretty cool that it's now available as a lock screen tool as well. Yeah, I mean, just yesterday I was doing a lot of work. So I was in my work focus mode. And um, last night I have a particularly annoying relative who I will not, you know, <laughs> go any further. <laughs> but last night I got a call from this person saying, what are you doing? I've been calling you all day. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was great. It was great, man. Focus modes are a beautiful thing. Uh, kind of related are notifications changes. Um, we got changes in notification layouts. Yeah. The, the new lock screen is very focused on the bottom part of the screen. The now playing widget is down there. Live activities when they show up later this year will be at the bottom. And now notifications come in from the bottom as well. And you can have basically one of three layouts. You can have expanded lists, which is basically what we've had, right? Just a list of notifications, you know, top to bottom. You can do a stack, which kind of, they kind of look like the Safari tabs on the iPhone. Remember that when they were like, it's like they were hanging from like a hanging folder or something. It was very strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or if you want like the really minimal approach, you can do just count and you just get a little text at the bottom that says you have three notifications and you can tap on that and they expand. 
you can change those in the settings app or you can actually change them on the lock screen by grabbing a widget and sliding down and it will kind of move through the phases. Uh, so far, I'm still using expanded list. I don't have many things that come to my lock screen and so I tend to want to see them. But for some people, like I know our friend Federico is psyched about the count setup. So that that's what he's been running. And I think a lot of people will, will like that a lot. I just really like that Apple is continuing to try and crack this nut, right? Because notifications are a problem. They're hugely distracting, but they're also super useful if done, if implemented right. And um, I think there's always been ways to do notifications in a way that can be helpful, but it always took attention of the user. And what they're aiming for here is to find a way to make it useful without so much work by the user. Yeah. And uh, this feels like it's closer to the mark. I don't know, like if we're using a dart analogy, if they've hit the bullseye yet, but it feels like this is closer. Yeah. There are a couple of things I'd like to see them continue to work on. I, for one, don't love how tightly they've linked the lock screen and the home screen. So for instance, like my ideal setup would be picture of my spouse as the lock screen and then my home screen use Apple's weather setup. So I could just like see the sunshine or see rain or whatever behind my app icons. And so far, at least with the ones Apple has set up, you can't sort of divide them up like that. Um, I also very, very much would like the ability to duplicate a lock screen. So I have all my widgets set up and I just want, okay, I want this one, but with a different photo. And you can't really do that. So every time you're building a new one, you're kind of setting up from scratch. And again, this is this feels inherited from the way the Apple Watch, like the watch face layout tools work. And I wish for it there too. Uh, but I would like kind of a, this is my starting point, right? Let me build from here as opposed to you're, you're starting from zero every time you build a new lock screen. Yeah, agreed. I just feel like in general that this is not power user friendly yet. Hopefully it gets that way at some point, but I think their idea is you build one or two of these things. Whereas yeah. like, I want one for each focus mode and right. <laughs> right. I want the ability to say, well, today I'm thinking about my puppy. So I want to get my favorite puppy lock screen and then, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, uh, like you, I, I struggle. And frankly, through the beta, it was even harder. It got a lot better towards the end yeah. of just like saying, well, make sure this this background sticks with this lock screen. All that stuff they struggled with, but they solved by the end. But it just... um. It does feel a little tedious putting it together, but it is nice when it's done. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Setapp. Do you have a seemingly never-ending workload? Why not delegate some tasks to Setapp to cut down on the stress? It's a powerful task solver for every professional with a Mac and iPhone. Whether you work in design, software development, or just need a solid tool to edit a photo, Setup helps you discover the perfect app for the job. Setup is home to more than 240 apps, all available with a single subscription. It's a fantastic value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate licenses and then having to keep up with those licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee with Setup. They have a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps. And new apps are added to Setup on a regular basis. Updates are free. And all the apps are full-featured pro versions. Just scrolling through Setup, it's amazing some of the, the strong names, and especially in Mac productivity. 
that uh, you know apps that Mac power users can really take advantage of. There's Gemini for duplication management, the great text editor Ulysses, MindNode for mind mapping, Paste for clipboard. It goes on and on and on. iStat menus, screens, trip mode. It's an amazing collection they've put together over at SetApp. Until September 30th, you can use the code MACPOWER to get a one-month free trial. So head on over to setapp.com and look to redeem the code. It's S-E-T-A-P-P, setapp.com, and you want to use the code MACPOWER to get a free trial for one month. Our thanks to Setup for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay, let's do some uh, grab bag for iOS 16 stuff. Um, system requirements. The oldest phone is the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus from 2017. What do you think, Stephen? Is that good? I think so. They've they've done a good job, I think, of, of holding on to old iPhones in terms of support. And the other thing they've done is they've added security updates to older versions of iOS. And so if there's something really nasty going on, uh, you could get a software update for your 6S or 7 or any iPod Touch. No iPod Touches are getting iOS 16. So you still have some coverage there. Uh, but yeah, 2017, you know, that feels like a, a, a pretty decent run to me. I feel like five years is like always their aim. And I doubt there are many, if any, Android phones that are five years old that can run the most current version of Android. Or will even ever get it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. Um, messages, editing and undo. And I am so glad this thing is releasing because every time I want to edit a message, the other person doesn't have the ability to receive my edited message because this is one of those features that has to, has to be on everybody's phone for it to work. But yeah, now if you send it and it has a typo or something, you can just go in and fix it. I like that. It's, it's so good. I make so many typos when I text people. It's, it's really nice. Uh, undo send is also cool. So if you, you know, it sends something to the wrong person, uh, you can uh, retract that uh, within a set yeah. period of time. So it's not infinite, but yeah, messages feels shockingly more complete with these two additions. Yeah. I, I think I need another filter on it, like a dummy filter. I sent a message yesterday to somebody and accidentally included a friend who lives in the Netherlands. <laughs> and like, you know, it's like, he's like 10 hours ahead of me. I'm like, Oh geez, what happened? Yeah. It's like, it should say, are you sure you want to add that person? <laughs> but the uh, you know related is apple mail um apple mail this is the year that apple mail started getting new features um undo send send later the uh, the follow-up uh emails have you been using apple mail through the beta much i have yeah apple mail is my my mail client yeah. and I, I like these features when when mac os ventura comes out i want to revisit these because some of them are way better on ios than the mac but in particular the uh the undo send, basically what it does is it counts to 10 seconds or something and then sends it. I don't know about you, but most of the time I realize I had a typo about four seconds too late. And so it gives you time to get in there and fix it. The, the only thing I, I don't really like in this feature list is rich links. So those are like the things like in Apple Notes, where if you paste in a URL, it'll pull the uh, the metadata from the web page and like put the Sparky logo, uh, you know, in the link. And yeah, I, in mail, for some reason, that just doesn't, I don't know. I like just kind of regular links and email if I'm sending somebody something. And and so that's the only one that I personally don't love. But the others are, are really nice and vastly overdue uh, in terms of uh, features. Yeah, I, I like them all. And I hope this is like a focus mode thing where we get more next year. 
And if you're listening to Apple, give us the ability to share the PDF without having to like do weird things on our phones and give us the ability to get a mail to link. You know, I mean, you, yeah. you make them, you make them in Apple notes, you know how to do it. But a lot of us would like to do that on our mobile devices and mm-hmm. they didn't do it yet. Photos. Um, there's a lot of changes this year. Um, the big one is the shared library concept where you can have a shared library with your spouse or your family and put a group of pictures in there that everybody equally shares. So you don't have to have extra copies in everybody's library. Um, I have very little experience with this yet. This is one of those things where as brave as I usually am, I have not pushed the button on this yet because um, obviously my the rest of my family couldn't benefit from it. And I just wanted to give them as much time as possible to work on the soup before I start, you know, pouring it down my throat. <laughs> what a metaphor. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't. It it seems like a good idea in the moment. Yeah, I get it. And and you just got proof that we really don't script anything on this show. (laughs) Yeah, this is coming later, uh, I assume, tied to iPadOS and macOS Ventura, as our friend Jason Snell pointed out to me yesterday. So this is something that we will use in my household once it ships. And I think we'll revisit photos once the dust has settled from this feature. But uh, not, not here quite yet. I actually have a lot of faith that this will work. I mean, they did uh, photo syncing and it, it worked. I feel like I'm sure it's the same people and they wouldn't have announced this if they hadn't already done a ton of testing on it. I, I feel like ultimately this is going to work. I talked to somebody in the Max Marking Labs uh, recently who has been using it in beta and he's been building out the shared library already and like just moving the images into it. So when it ships, he can just plug his wife into it and it'll already be populated, which I thought was actually pretty smart. Yeah. But I'm just not there yet. I mean, I'm going to give it more time, but I, I think this is going to be a banner feature for a lot of families. Um, the thing that I have really liked, and I've only run it a couple times, but the first time was the one that counted, is the duplicates finder. They've got a really nice algorithm that will search out all your duplicates in your library and it'll combine them and it does it in a smart way. It keeps the highest resolution image. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, I had a lot of duplicates and it just cleaned them up in one swoop, you know, just went through and fixed it. Now I occasionally find I have one or two duplicates Yeah, and I, I love it. So I thought that was a nice feature. That's, that's definitely like <laughs> the other side of the coin of moving to a family library, right? Because People and family, like we've all airdropped photos to each other for 10 years and <laughs> we have a lot of duplicates, you know, between us. And so yeah. my plan is just like dump everything in the shared library and then use this to help me work through it. Well, I also feel like this is probably a feature requested by the people at running Apple server farms. And they're like, <laughs> you know, if we got 5,000 duplicates for every user, you know, this is insane. Just think how much money we could save if we got rid of all these duplicates. Yeah. Um, the, the the banner feature, in fact, of all the things we've talked about today, if you want to impress somebody who's not like kind of hooked into all this stuff, show them the ability to lift a subject from the background in a photo. This is just such a killer feature. So just take any picture. It doesn't have to be a portrait mode with depth data. It can be any picture. And you just grab your spouse or your kids or your dog and you drag them out of the picture and you can drop them into a message and it's done and it's very sharp and it looks great. And the feature that used to cost, you know, thousand dollar, you know, Adobe software 
now you can do right on your phone without really any extra software. It's it's crazy. Have you played with this, Stephen? It's bananas. <laughs> yeah. it's, I, I don't know what it's... I mean, there's obviously some use cases for it, but it's mostly fun just to see how good it is. Yeah, it is. And it is really good. They added a shortcut action for that too, so you can write a shortcut to do it as well. Oh, cool. But, um, but yeah, it, it's like every year there's like some feature to show off to people. This is definitely the show-off feature this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty neat. Dictation. All right. Uh, it's better. It's better, man. Every year it's yeah. better. Timer's gone, which so is something good. that used to always annoy me. Timer's gone. Does a better job. Doesn't have a custom dictionary unless you're using the accessibility features. Um, but overall, the dictation is way better. And um, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I really like the ability to have the keyboard active at the same time. Yes. So if yes. it gets something wrong, you can correct it while you're talking and kind of go back and forth. It's very, it's like very fluid to, to use. I find this particularly useful on iPad and Mac because that's where I do most of my dictation, like serious dictation. But to be able to type and dictate at the same time, it's it's a game changer. And uh, you know, Google started this about a year ago or so, and I'm so happy that Apple's in on the game too. Uh, you know, one my one big request is you know give me a custom dictionary for standard dictation, Siri dictation. You can do it with the voice control, but it's not you know there. But otherwise, this stuff is just getting really good and. You can sit down there. I, I dictate blog posts and email and stuff all the time now. And uh, I know I'm a broken record and I say this every year, but it is better. And if you haven't been using it, you should try it because it's just so much faster than typing, especially on an iPhone. So a couple other just sort of random things that have caught our attention uh, over the summer. Uh, a big one, it's like it's a real finally moment because Google Maps has had this for a long time, but you can now add multiple stops to a route in Apple Maps. So it used to be if you're driving on the highway and you had directions to a gas station, you had to like cancel your initial route, find a gas station, route to that, and then restart your other yeah. one. Now you can just add multiple stops in line through CarPlay or just through the phone or in advance and you can even, on the Mac, set up a multiple stop route and then send it to your phone for later, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, tech people often overuse the word finally, but this is definitely a finally. Yeah, yeah you know. seriously. Uh, the home app is better. You know, they've, they've done a pass on the UI, and I love it. I've been using the beta and like just like getting the air conditioning going or turning lights on is just faster. Than it was. They, you know, I I think that third party apps are really the answer if you're going to use Apple HomeKit stuff. But the Home app itself is better, and a lot of people are never going to use third party apps. We spoke about this in June, but the medication tracking in health on the iPhone, and it's a standalone app on the Apple Watch. Uh, I've moved fully into it. I was using Do forever for daily medication, and I really like this because I can see the history. Like, oh, I skipped this one at lunch yesterday. Uh, Good to know <laughs> in hindsight that I missed one. Uh, that tracking is really cool, and you can uh, add your medications with the name, and you can make the icons look like the medication itself, which I think is actually like low-key a really powerful feature if you have somebody who is maybe taking uh, multiple medications. It's like a visual check that they're taking the right thing. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that, and uh, I've been using it all summer and has not let me down. Yeah, and the thing is they've, 
they let you customize the pill shape and the color. It really is done in a way that if you're just looking at your watch, you're like, oh yeah, that one, you know, I have glaucoma, so I have to take a lot of drops and I actually coded it to the, to the lid color of the different drops. And uh, I just think, you know, there, this was more than just a reminder. They put some thought into it and I like that. Um, they have a feature called safety check that lets you review and remove access to your account. Um, it also resets your system privacy permissions and app restrictions. And um, so it's, if you get in a situation where someone you trusted is no longer someone you can trust, this allows you to very quickly, you know, get that person out of your digital devices. And I, again, I'm not going to use a finally because I'd never really thought of it, but talking to people since this was announced, this is something that a lot of people have wanted for a long time. Yeah. It's another safe personal safety feature that they have partnered with outside experts on. So they talk to people who are experts in domestic or intimate partner partner abuse and like, what should we be doing? And then they go and implement those things, which is, which is awesome that they don't just do it themselves and hope for the best on something that's so important. Yeah. I mean, there really is a theme here uh, across Apple announcements about personal safety protecting you in all sorts of different contexts, and this is one more of them. Uh, there's one of those where it's it's annoying, um, and that is when you copy and paste between apps. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Anytime you so you have something on your clipboard, say you copy a URL and you go to another app to paste it, you're going to get a pop up saying. App A would like to access the clipboard content from App B. And it's every single time, and you have to hit OK, and it's gotten old real quick. I would like to be able to turn this off, or like, I don't even mind like a notification at the top. Like, I think, isn't that what we used to have? Like a little yeah. uh, compact UI notification. Like swipe. Yeah. But, uh, or a pop down. Yeah. 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 It's annoying. Yeah. I, I agree. And, um, I, I understand why, but, I feel like once you approve it once, there yeah. should be an option to say, okay, yeah, that's like good. I trust my stock or my package tracking app that, you know, like I want to paste numbers into that all the time. And yeah. it's, it's just kind of another little piece of friction. The, um, the ability to get live captions out of video now, that's a cool new feature. I mean, Very last cool. year that was the big thing, live captions, but it was photos only. Now, if you shoot a video and you pause the video, you can grab text out of that too. I like that. Uh, reminders this year. I, I feel like this is another conversation I want to finish once they ship it on the other platforms. Mm -hmm. Reminders to me is making huge strides. Um, it's not like an omni-focused level application, but it's it's raising its level so high that people who are not interested in like omni-focused like power it like solves a problem for almost all of them. They got templated lists this year. And um, so if you want to create templates, you push a button and you can just repeat it like packing lists or whatever, or podcast checklists or whatever it is you want to do. You can template those now. Um, and uh, that's really nice. It is. It is really cool. Uh, the weather app got a big dose of dark sky <laughs> injected into yeah. it. Uh, yeah. So agreed. The local uh, precipitation alerts. It's like, it's going to rain here starting in five minutes and end in eight minutes. All that stuff is there. Uh, there's an iPad app now. There's a radar built in that looks just like Dark Sky, basically. So it's basically what we expected when they bought Dark Sky a few years ago. 
Uh, but there's also weather kit. And so third-party weather applications, I know several developers who are working on this, who I'm sure will announce over the coming days, that will have an option to use Apple weather. Here for me, comparing it with other services, it seems pretty good. Uh, I've heard mixed things from people outside the United States. So just like all these other services, like it may depend on where you live, to, you know, how good it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, just in general, uh, the big one for me is shortcuts. I, I feel like the change to shortcuts this year, um, first of all, they did add a lot of actions because they made it easier for app developers to donate actions to shortcuts. And you can see that this showed up in the dog food. You know, some of the teams at Apple uh, did a really good job of adding actions. Um, notes to me is the poster child for this Apple notes can do, you can even access the settings via shortcuts. And like, that was not something that you would even think about doing via shortcut before. And just talking to third-party app developers, they're all, a lot of them are going to be embracing this. So suddenly shortcuts is going to be way more powerful. Yeah. So this is kind of a sleeper feature that mm -hmm. when it ships, you're going to be like, oh, that's a good idea. But then in six months, you're going to realize that you have way more actions available. And I'm really excited to see how that develops. Yeah, anything to get third-party support and a shortcuts in a in a easier and cleaner way to, for developers is, is always going to be a win anything else stand out for you steven i think that's the bulk of it um there's a lot of assistive feature stuff that we haven't really touched on that i, I want to revisit uh, you can now use the iphone and all of its built-in assistive features to control an apple watch which is pretty awesome uh, using the camera and LiDAR sensor, the app, the iPhone can sense doorways and door handles and a lot of things that it couldn't sense before. So that's continuing to, to get better out in the real world. I mean, look, iOS 16, I think it's easy to look at it and see, oh, it's the lock screen release. But there are a lot of really good things going on here. And, and I think it's going to shape up to be a really solid release of iOS, you know, we will discuss iPad OS separately because Apple has separated them. We'll get to that later this fall. But I think in terms of the iPhone, from that perspective, this is a very solid year in terms of software. And if you use Apple's built-in apps or all third-party apps or some mix, you're, you're going to see benefit to, to what they're doing. Totally agreed. And it's weird this year because the iPad and the Mac are a month or so behind. So some of the stuff like we're talking about, it's going to make more sense when it's on all platforms. But, you know, it's a good year. I, I feel like just overall, uh, looking back, and maybe I'm still in the glow of the keynote, but I feel like Apple had a good year. I mean, the, the changes they made to iOS were solid. The beta ran pretty well, and I think that people aren't going to have a lot of trouble with this once they install it on their devices. And the updates to the hardware they made are all good. Um, nothing like revolutionary they, you know they didn't make a phone that folds in half or something but <laughs> but the stuff they did really um really is useful and and i'm really happy about this kind of emphasis towards health and safety that seems to be emerging from apple and i'd like to see them continue to do that i mean they did a video at the beginning of the of the thing where you know it was people that had been um in precarious situations of one form or another and the apple technology did help them and it's silly to think well if you don't buy apple stuff you're gonna die i mean i don't know if that's what they're even trying to say but but i also think that there's something to that and and i've mentioned a couple times on the show a good friend of mine was saved by his apple watch and that really struck home for me you know that 
he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that he put that watch on. And then, you know, we had a guest recently that said that her doctor told her to buy an Apple watch. And, um, I think Apple's doing good work here. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I know it's easy as podcasters to be ironic and, you know, hypercritical, uh, to use John's term, but I, I think that they're doing the right things here. And I, uh, I was just, I'm just happy to be a, cus- a consumer. It's a good time. Good time to be an iPhone user. All right. Uh, we have the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors today. That's the people over at 1Password, Text Expander, Indeed, and Setup. Uh, on more Power Users today, we're going to be digging into what's left. I'm looking forward to that conversation. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. <laughs>